Thank you all so much tonight for having us. Thank you, Pastor Mo, uh, for, for, uh, for everything, for having us come on Wednesday, for dealing with a vehicle and hooking us up and, and, and all of that. Uh, pay no attention to the stickers in the back of our vehicle as you're leaving the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, but, so I did say this. We were at uh, Life for Lost Banquet uh, last week in uh, Lake Charles, and I said, look, I will, I'll say just about anything for permissions money, and I did say go Tigers there, so, yeah, but y'all were playing Auburn that week, so, uh, yeah, I was, we had a common ending, so, we're so glad to be here, my name is Josh Tillman, this is my wife, Leah, we have, thank you, uh, we have three kids, uh, Will, Nate, and Lily, they're 14, 10, and 7, uh, you would usually see them on a big banner that we have that was locked inside the vehicle. We have a really awesome display. We didn't have a chance to set it up, but just just picture how cool it could be. Um, and, it's a, and on the banner, huge pictures of, of us, our whole family. So um, we're so glad to be here. We're missionary associates to Austria. Specifically, we'll be in the capital city of Vienna, um, and we're very excited to be involved in European missions, and we're going to talk some more about what that means because um, it's very different from any other mission field Europe is. It's very unique in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm going to let my wife kind of share uh, how we got to where we are in terms of going to Europe and being involved in missions there. Good afternoon. It's really good to be here. Thank you guys so much for welcoming us and for helping us get our kids out of the car. That was not bad. But anyways, um, I just want to give you a little bit of backstory about my family and, and who we are. Um, we used to be in youth ministry a long time ago. And for the past eight years, we've served at our local church just doing anything and everything to help and to serve and to be a support to our pastor. But uh, I was raised as a pastor's kid. And we traveled all the time. Well, I'd say traveled all the time. We moved around a lot. We pastored a lot of different churches. And so I lived kind of a very unstable life as a kid. I was all over the place. So my goal was never to be in ministry. It was always to have a stable home life and to be a support. You know, to have, to have plenty of uh, money coming in, to have a house that I could stay in forever. <laughs> I wanted stability and I wanted security. But um, so, so I went to college, and I got a good job, and, and I did well at that good job, because I was a good employee, and we did all the things right. You know, we, we had the home, we had the kids, they loved their school, we loved our community, we served at our church, we did all the things right. And if you were to look from the outside in, you would think, oh, they just got it made. But inside, I knew that I wasn't fulfilling the call of God that he had placed on my life. So when you're not when you're not doing what God's called you to do, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter how much money you're making. It doesn't matter what it looks like from the outside. It's just you're just not going to be content. And so I got to this place where I was very discontent, and I didn't know what else to do. I was serving in church, but I was complacent to the things of God. I had always done that. I had always done the right things. Um, so I just began to, to fast. I began to fast and pray because I, I knew what to do. I knew I was supposed to listen in and, and to lean into God and to, to find out what it was he would have me do. We had, we had several times where we had just kind of done things and they looked good, you know. 
everybody thought that was what God wanted us to do, but we found out after the fact that it probably wasn't the best idea. You know, God has the best plan for us. Sometimes we say, God, this is my plan. Will you please bless it? When really we need to be going to him and find out what the plan is to begin with. And so I ended up leaving a job that was our support. I made over half our income, and I walked away because I knew that's what God wanted me to do, and I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. Because we went through some really rough times. But all along the way, I was trying to fix it myself. I still hadn't fully surrendered. I was trying to get part-time jobs and other things I knew I wasn't supposed to do. But eventually, uh, there was an opening at my church, and they asked me to come. They asked me to do children's curriculum. Very basic, not a lot of pay. But I was like, well, this is my open door into ministry, just to learn some things. I had signed up to go on a missions trip. And I had been on several missions trips. We love missions, and we supported missions our whole marriage. Uh, we've been married for 15 years. But I signed up for this Vienna missions trip. I went with a group of ladies. And uh, from the moment I got off the plane, God began to work on my heart and my life. And just, he didn't call me into missions right there, but, but it was a softening and a compassion to the people there. And just, he really revealed me. You know, I, I was looking at me and all of these people. They were all complacent. They had everything they needed, but they didn't know Jesus. If you said his name on the street, they wouldn't know who you were talking about. They had just never heard. And so it was a whole different experience for me to, to, to meet people. Yes, they have all the things. They have nice things. You know, they, they make pretty good money for the most part over there. They, they're beautiful buildings, lots of architecture and culture. But, but they don't have Jesus. Their churches are, are just they're pieces of art. They don't even go there and meet. They don't, they don't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. So, so one of the things that really um, spoke to me, we, we went to a couple of refugee houses. There, they had their doors open for a long time and allowed people just to come in, and they would house them. So one of the refugee houses I went to were predominantly Muslim women, and we were serving them tea. We had brought teacups. We let them pick whatever cup they wanted as a gift, and, and we were going and making tea for them and serving them. One of the ladies I served, she wouldn't sit down. She was a young girl, and I didn't understand if something was wrong. And I had someone come over because we couldn't communicate, and she was waiting on me to sit with her. She wanted she wanted a relationship. She wanted someone to sit with her and talk with her. And that was such a picture to me of this world and what they're looking for. They don't want big and loud and smoke and lights and all the things that we try to do sometimes to get their attention. What they need is love, and they need a relationship. And they don't even know the one over there that they need a relationship with. So that's what we're called to do. We're called to go and to love people and to build a relationship with them and to spread Jesus that way. Um, a couple months after the trip, um, the missionary there in Vienna contacted us and gave us an opportunity to come and work with them. And at the time, we had honestly been in a season of waiting for about eight years. And we knew. We knew when she asked that, okay, this is it. And even though everything in our life at the time looked impossible for that to happen, so I was never going to say it myself, like, oh, I want to do this. No, that would just be impossible. But because it was presented to us an open door, we didn't have any other option but to say yes to God's call. And so that's what we did, and it's been a whirlwind ever since. And I appreciate you guys letting me talk for a few minutes. It has been a whirlwind. It has been a, a crazy year for us. It's been an adventure. 
we sat down with our kids uh, last year in January. We, we met with those missionaries uh, New Year's Day. They were in town. Their scope of ministry, they're, they're not in the States a whole lot for a long amount of time. This is the first time they have been in the States uh, for Christmas in eight or ten years. So, one of those things where God worked it out, we can meet with them and talk with them and then uh, talk about logistics and what it was to, to move a family across the world and live in a, a foreign country. And then we sat down with our kids uh, and began, you know, we wanted to. We, we were kind of vague at first. We just we told them, hey, this is what we are exploring the option of doing uh, missions and moving uh, to another country. And uh, almost immediately before we could even tell them what country it was, we, we were kind of just still going to leave things a little vague. Uh, that word missions, even to them, evoked feelings of mud huts, uh, eating bugs, and everything you would think about with a third world country and poverty and all of that. And uh, it didn't take long for like you just saw that that facial expression and, and, and you know, yeah, fear. Uh, so the world as we know it has come to an end. That's how it's, and then we had to divulge, you know, Austria and Vienna and start showing pictures and things like that. And it was a completely, now there were still a whole lot of unanswered questions, still a lot of what ifs and hows and all those things. But at least we could talk about how different European missions is versus uh, what most of us think about when it, when it comes to missions. Um, when we think about missions, we, we tend to think about Latin American countries. We, we, we tend to think about third world countries, Venezuela, Nicaragua, uh, Honduras. Uh, when we think about Africa, we think about South Africa, we think about Ethiopia, we think about some of those Asian countries, we think about uh, Korea and India and, and, and all those, and, and, and you can you can pull up pictures of people in those countries and almost immediately from their picture, you can see their need. Well, wow, these folks really need food, they need water, they need clothing, they need medical attention. Uh, and we see it from social media to TV commercials to books and magazines. National Geographic will give us a picture of what missions looks like in foreign countries, well, uh, we, can, we can turn on Fox News or, or whatever news outlet you're familiar with, and you can see the need in certain countries. But when you look at a picture of a European, that person doesn't look a whole lot different from you or I. And it's hard for us to, because we're visual people, we, we see a European and we don't see much of a need there. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Facebook. Who's on the I'm not, I'm not about to get on a Facebook rant, so I'm, I'm not that person. But if you go on Facebook, we tend to see people's highlights. Right? Uh, some people like to just throw everything out there and that, but for the 
the most part, we see people's highlights. And from a distance, we think, well, they're doing good. Post a picture of the kids at the park or the, the vacation or the new car or the whatever and all that stuff. We see their highlights, and it's hard to, from those highlights, see that there is a need for Christ or there is a need for anything in their life. So when we look at a picture of a European, it's hard to tell that, well, that person really needs the gospel in a bad way. Um, the country of Austria is is uh, square miles geographically smaller than the state of Alabama. Uh, it has far more many people. There's about 8.4 million people in the country of Austria. Uh, if you're not familiar geographically where Austria is, if you, if you can picture on a map Germany, that southeast corner that borders Austria, to the left is Switzerland. Okay, and then there's, there's Italy that, that borders like seven or eight countries that border Austria. Um, and you don't ever, so your, your reference point of Austria for most people is, is Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sound of Music, uh, Vienna Sausages, right? And if you're, if you're familiar with handguns, Glock pistols. Glock pistols are made in Austria. They, they make them in Austria, but you can't own a pistol in Austria. That's a whole different, whole different story. Uh, so those are your reference points. Uh, before all of this took place, I, I don't know that I could have pointed out Austria on map. You know, if, if you go home tonight and you watch the news, the, the, the global news or whatever, you're not going to hear for the most most of the time, you're not going to hear anything about Austria or a lot of European countries. But of those 8.4 million people, and inside that capital city, where we are, it's about 2 million, about half a percent of those people are evangelical. There are more evangelical Christians today in countries like Iraq, Iran, Turkey, than there are in Austria. In fact, for most of Europe, most of Europe is well below 1% evangelical. If you look at the southeastern parts of Europe, it gets really low, like 0.2% evangelical Christians. The closer it gets to those countries like Turkey, it, it, it's, it's far more Muslim. Now, for, for us in Austria... The predominant religion, because people ask it that a lot, so what is, what, what's the religion in Austria? Statistically, it's Catholicism. If you, if you go on Wikipedia and you look up Google, if you go to a, there's a website called the Joshua Project where it, it, it gives you all the global stats for every country you could, that, there, that there is and their breakdown. Uh, it'll even give you up-to-date stats of conversions around the world. Um, if you go on that website, it'll it'll show you that Catholicism is is the the, the leading number. Now, it's a little bit of a myth because in Austria you're required to put your religion on your birth certificate. So if your mom's Catholic and you're born, you're going to be Catholic. 
today for most of Europe is what we call secularism. It is it's beyond atheism. It's beyond agnosticism. It is not not only do I not ascribe to worshiping God, I have no acknowledgement of God. God God isn't relevant any way in my life. And every action that I that I commit is an act of showing that I am my own rule and authority. Very, very post-Christian. Very, very... And you'll see... You'll see uh, some some fringe expressions of that, not, not near to the extreme, but the further west we go in the United States, states like Oregon and parts of California and Nevada, you'll, you'll, you'll see some of that behavior. Let me share a passage with you real quick, and I'm going to... And it'll kind of give you a picture of what we're talking about. John chapter 5. This is a passage that we talk about a lot when we go when we speak and in terms of missions, and this is something God showed me months ago. Uh, and I'm not going to I'm not going to get into it like I usually do, but I just want to point out a few things. John chapter five. Uh, I'm going to start at verse one. It says, "After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roof colonnades." In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Don't everybody say 38. Okay. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus says to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Verse 9. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. I want us to understand a few things about this passage. We'll give you some reference, some, some context to it. So in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda. This is... This is um, it was a, a place where it was used a lot for spiritual cleansing. You know, see these a lot still in, in a lot of parts of Europe. Uh, these cleansing pools, these uh, uh, hot springs or baths or whatever they call them in certain places where uh, for spiritual purposes or for ritual purposes, uh, the Jews would go and, and get their cleansing from whatever Whatever the law stated, okay, you got to get cleansing for this. So daily, this was something that people went to. Um, this wasn't like just a place where, the, where they cast off a bunch of invalids. But in this place, there was a lot of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. And in the story, in, 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 as it goes, at a certain time, an angel would come down and stir the water at these pools. And the first person to get in would receive healing. Okay? So, everybody that's around the pool, those that have been hanging out the blind, the lame, paralyzed, whatever, they know that. So, immediately this becomes a place where selfishness 
his birth. If I get in the pool first, then I get my healing. And what's what's funny is is in this story, there's there's never pointed out where uh, Johnny gets healed, and then Johnny helps so and so get healed. It's just a place where whoever gets in first gets their healing. And each and every day, there's Jews coming by this pool that see all these people hanging out and never do anything to help them receive their healing. And Jesus comes by the pool one day, and not by happenstance. Jesus always knew what he was doing, right? And and he goes and he sees this man who's been there for 38 years. This man had become, um, you know, it's like it's like this plant over here. I don't know how long that plant's been there, but it's probably been there a while. And for the most time, I. I bet most people just don't ever notice that plant. Or, or whatever else is in, in our lives, we just don't notice it. We don't think about it. It's just there. It's kind of like Europeans today. They're there. We just don't notice them. We don't think about them. They're just over there needing help, needing somebody to partner with them and, 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 and take them to gospel. But we just don't. They just they've been there. That's their condition. Okay. But Jesus notices this man. I love the verse where it says, When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had been there a long time. That tells me we know this. Jesus Jesus notices people. He notices people. And church, that's what we have to do. And and whether it's Burlington, Louisiana, Mobile, Alabama, or it's Venezuela, or or it's Austria, wherever it is, we have to notice people. That's the heart of God, is to notice people. Because if I don't ever notice you, then I'm never really going to know that you need anything. You see, I, 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 when, I, when I flip and scroll on Facebook or social media, I just see the highlights, and I don't ever really stop to notice, what is that just a cover-up? That just a, is that just a show? Is it just a whatever? So Jesus notices this man in this condition. He's been there for 38 years. I always read this passage wrong. I, I played sports. You coach football, master my right? So we've heard the phrase, you just don't want it bad enough. Uh, you got to want it. You got to work for it. You got to get after it. And I just thought for a long time, well, that man just didn't want it bad enough. And, and here's why, because Jesus asks him a question. He says, do you want to be healed? In verse 7, it says, the sick man answers, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. I read that for so many years and thought, he never answered the question. He never, ever answered the question. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? The guy never says, well, yeah, but... And I would have accepted, yeah, but. Because he did, he did at least answer it. Give me something. And I just thought, well, here is this. He's just making excuses. I've got nobody that's going to help me out. We, we know those people, right? We know the excuse maker. He's got nobody to help him out. But this is what hit me. Is that, so let, let's go back. How long has he been there? 38 years. Okay. All of us in this room know Jesus. 
we know what he's capable of. We know that he can set free, he can deliver, he can heal, he can save, he can do all of it. You name it, he can do it. And he's done it, and he'll continue to do it over and over and over again. But this man, who is nameless, has been there for 38 years and can't get to the pool, and nobody's going to help him get to the pool because everybody's always concerned about their own self. He doesn't know Jesus. Think about that. He doesn't know the guy that is standing right next to him. He's been in that same spot for 38 years. Church, we're going to a country in Austria uh, to a city of over 2 million people, and then not just in Austria, but all these other countries in Europe where, in, in the same sense, if I walked up to someone on the street and said, hey, would, would you like hope? Can, can, I, can I introduce you to joy? They would get the same response. I don't have any. I don't. I don't have anybody that can that can do that for me. Because church, they don't know Jesus. They don't know Him. It is it is a very real thing that for the for the for the typical Austrian to not know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows, somebody that knows Jesus. The degree of separation is so far that. Most of the time, when someone comes to Jesus, not only are they the first person in their family to come to a relationship with Christ, but they're the first person that they have ever known to come to a relationship with Jesus. And we just think Europe's good. Like they're good, right? They're, they've got, they're, they're fluent, they've got clothing, they've got art, they've got they got all that stuff that's on the outside. The, the Facebook stuff, the stuff we see, oh, they're good. They got it, right? Because we equate the gospel need to a physical need, and it, it is a lot of times, okay? That, that's good. There's nothing wrong with missions that way. Absolutely nothing wrong. But a lot of what we do is try to, it, it, is try to educate and show how much Europe needs the gospel, how much Austria needs the gospel. You ask all times, so why Austria? I've seen pictures of Austria. I love to live there. I, I would get that a lot. I would love to live there. I've always wanted to go to Austria. We get, we get up. When we were when we go to Springfield for uh, missions training, we wear the little tags that say Europe and say where we're going. And the people that are going to Africa or the Middle East or like those those live dead countries, they they turn over our tag. How are you going to Europe? Like my bad, I'm sorry. I'm you know, talk to the Lord about that. I, I didn't pick it, you know. Church, this man had been there for 38 years. Jesus walks up one day, noticing his condition. That man didn't know Jesus. Just another guy coming to a pool for him. But in that moment, 
receive his healing. Jesus said, get up. I want, I'm, I'm so ready to build relationships with people and to introduce them to the man that I've been serving for over 20 years. Church, when I gave my heart to the Lord, I can think back to all the people that had to say yes to a nudge from the Holy Spirit to get me into a youth service in 1999 and for me to watch a drama about a young man who did everything right, made good grades, was a good person, but was burning in hell. And that was me. There are good people dying and going to hell every second. People who, on the outside, had it all. A lot of people had to say yes to get me to an altar and to push me along in my journey. And when God asked us, take a step and to start this journey. The thing that has marked us is that we want to give other people throughout Austria, throughout Europe, the opportunity to say yes to him. So, our prayer is that you would partner with us and pray. That's not a cliche. The truth. We want you to pray for us. We want you to pray for Europe. The Bible says to send for us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers out in the field. I thought about that the other day, and I thought, well, why are we? Why, why am I praying that God would send laborers? Why don't I just pray that? people would go and say yes to it. This is what I learned. If I start praying for the Lord to send people to South Africa, let's say I start praying for God to send people to China, God to send people to North Korea, I start to feel something inside globally. I start to catch a vision for the kingdom of God globally. So pray. Pray for your please. Pray that, that people would answer the call and God would send more laborers. Pray for us uh, and partner with us financially. Obviously, gospel. It is what it is. It takes money. We run banquet. I've been in life of lost banquets for the last three weeks. Every one of them is about raising money. That's what it takes. That's what gospel takes. Thank you so much. Let me pray for you very quickly. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Father, we, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you, God, that it's truth, Lord, that there is no no falseness to it, Lord. There is no shifting to it, Lord. From from Genesis to Revelation, it's truth, Lord. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts, Lord, uh, the the purpose, the the, uh, importance of missions and a global mindset inside of each and every one of us, Lord. 
God, that we would we would pray, Lord. We would pray that you would send laborers out to the harvest fields. Lord, help us to, God, wake us up praying for uh, these countries, praying for missionaries, Lord God, praying for our own mission field, Father. We're, we're all missionaries, God. We're just geographically called to different places, Lord. God, I, I pray for this church, Lord, that for that local and that global mindset for the kingdom of God would just grow exponentially, Father. Bless this church. God, I bless this pastor and the staff. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. In just a moment, if uh, Brother Whit, you and a couple others could help us out, we'll receive an offering. You know, Sunday I talked about core values here at the church, and, and missions is one of those. It's always been a core value of our church, and, and missions is not about us, it's about others. And last Monday night at the Life of Lost Banquet, Brother David Raley said, when it comes to world missions, you really only have three choices. You can sin, you can go, or you can disobey. Well, for about the first 20 years of my life, I tried that third option, and that didn't work so well for me. And I think every one of us in here would agree that's not really an option. So when it comes to Austria, we're either going or we're sending. You know, tomorrow it's going to be 40 around here. It's probably already 40 in Austria, and it won't be warm again for six more months. So I don't think I'm going. So that leaves only one option left, and uh, we're going to send. And uh, I think we have some prayer cards. Can we find some prayer cards? Yes. So uh, in just a few moments, so, uh, they'll be out in the foyer, and you can grab a prayer card, put it on icebox, or put it in your Bible, put it somewhere as you see pretty often. So you pray for these guys, because look, guys, this offering is offering uh, is awesome, and we're going to receive a great offering. But their prayer, they need your prayer support even more than they need your offering, because they're going to a place not a lot of people want to go. They're going to a place that, like the man at the pool of Bethesda, has been forgotten about. And one huge takeaway that that, that that spoke to my heart is noticing people again. And I would just challenge you guys tomorrow at work, notice people again. Tomorrow at Walmart, notice people again. Tomorrow night during our outreach, notice people again. Because when we notice them, then all of a sudden we can begin to, to maybe hear some things from the Holy Spirit that could just prompt an amazing, amazing transformation. So I'm going to uh, pray, and then these gentlemen are going to receive this evening's offering. And all of this offering will go to the, the gentlemen's, and uh, we're going to pre uh, prepare a check for them. And again, all this money is missions money, so thank you in advance for, for doing your very, very best to uh, help send these guys to Austria to make a difference for the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for an opportunity to partner with a young couple like this. God, I thank you that you have called them. There is no doubt in my mind that they are called by you. And God, I thank you, God, because you've called them. You're going to equip them and you're going to enable them to go to, to Europe and make a difference for you. God, I just pray that uh, you would help them to quickly reach their budget. God, completely be fully funded so that them and their children can get on the field in a timely manner and start making a difference for you. God, I just thank you, Lord God, that you're going to use them in these last days for such a time as this for a great revival to hit Europe again. Lord, I just ask right now that you'd bless this offering. Lord, thank you for giving us a chance here at Lighthouse Community Church to partner with missionaries that are going around the globe. Lord, I, we count this a high honor to be able to partner with them. Lord, bless this offering. Bless your people. Bless all that we do for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.